Welcome to a very special series of ESA Explores. On the 31st of March 2021, the European Space Agency opened applications for its first astronaut selection in over a decade. In this series, we delve a bit deeper into the role and the attributes of ESA astronauts with a few of the people who know them best. Along the way, we discover there are so many different opportunities to work in space exploration, and there's no one linear pathway to getting there. We hope you enjoy this journey behind the scenes, and if you are applying to ESA's astronaut selection, we wish you best of luck. You'll find everything you need to know online at esa.int slash yourwaytospace. I'm Ali Kohler, Stephen Ennis is on the sound desk, and this is ESA Explores. This. Nie. Ato. Seven. Seis. Fünf. Stere. Drei. Dwa. One. It wouldn't be a series about astronaut selection without speaking to an astronaut. In this episode, we talk to ESA astronaut Luca Palmitano. Luca is a member of ESA's astronaut class of 2009, and he's flown twice to the International Space Station. He's now heading up astronaut operations here on Earth. Our very first series of the podcast actually focused on Luca's mission. All of these episodes are available via all major podcast platforms if you'd like to listen back. In the meantime, Here's our chat with Luca. Let me just start by asking you, for many people, becoming an astronaut is a childhood dream. You ask a few children what they want to be when they grow up and chances are astronaut is in that list. Was that the case for you? Yes, it was, unsurprisingly, for many reasons. I would say that the biggest, one of the biggest reasons is that I grew up at a time where space was, again, after after a, a, a hiatus, it was it was in front of everybody's eyes again. With the moon landing in the in the sixties and seventies, space was it was important for general culture. You know, with the lives of the astronauts on the front page of magazines and and then everything being televised. And then after the after the moon landing, there was I would say there was a time where I expect that. It was not so prominent anymore. But then, uh, around the, the time when, when I was growing up as a child, the early 80s, the return to space with the space shuttle and the new kind of missions brought it all back. And I just happened to, to be a, a small child watching those launches. And in my, in my mind, as a, as a young child, the lunar missions and the shuttle missions and the astronauts, they, they, were all, they were all the same. There was no difference. I, I found it all so fascinating. So one of my earliest memories as a child, one of the very, very memories that I have, I must have been a little, a little over three years old, and I, and I was in a swimming pool to learn how to swim. I remember the instructor, uh, this young lady that wanted to break the ice with a bunch of little kids. and. You know, a very easy question to break the ice is, hey, what do you want to do when you guys grow up? And there we were. We were standing in the water in this tiny pool where we were learning to swim. And there's always one child that wants to be a doctor. There's always one that wants to be a firefighter. And I remember very clearly uh, answering, I, I want to be an astronaut. Now, back then, as a small, small child, that kind of answer is, it would have been the same as saying, I want to be Batman 
when I grow up. But nonetheless, it is, it is a memory that I have. It was on my mind. It was what you could call a childhood dream. Yeah. And did it direct your career? You, I mean, you have a military background as a colonel and a test pilot in the Italian Air Force. Was, did you go into that thinking that you might be an astronaut? How did that happen? <laughs> it's, I would say that the short answer is actually yes, it did. Because I completely forgot about this idea of being an astronaut for, for many years as a, as a young teenager I wanted to be maybe a journalist or a writer, something to do with... Also a good uh, career. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say so, yeah. I, I, I still love writing. I still love the interaction with the public and the, the sharing that, that comes with, with writing and talking about your experiences. Uh, so, But that was really more my focus in my early teenage years. And then as a... Um, as I grew a little bit, uh, when I was 16, 17, I met a person, my host father, when I was an exchange student in the United States. Uh, my host father was a naval aviator. Uh, he was a marine navigator on the F-18s, and before that, he was on the F-4s. And talking to him uh, just kind of rekindled my desire to fly that was always there and always been there. And I, I wanted to fly. I always, I'd always dreamed of uh, flying. And it had been there for a long time because I remember making drawings as a, as a child of airplanes. And, and so that it, it all came back. And all at once, I knew that I wanted to, uh, to be a pilot, to be a military pilot and a fighter pilot. And, and I joined the Air Force by applying to the Italian Air Force Academy. It's a six-month selection course where they take between seven and 8,000 applicants, and then they select them down to about to a class of about 50 cadets. And I, I happened to, to be one of those back in 1995. So I, I, I joined the Italian Air Force Academy. I, I went through the, the four-year college instruction. And then as I was going through it, I did have a definite desire to design my career in such a way that it would open up a lot of different roads. And I have proof of that. As a matter of fact, it's, it's not just something that I'm saying now after 20 years. When, when I was in my first year as a cadet, so just, I, I had just flown my first airplane and I was still going to school. I had no idea where I would end up as a pilot and so on. Somebody interviewed me and asked me what was the reason why I had joined the Air Force, and I was at the Air Force Academy. And I said that to me, that could be, could represent a trampoline to fly to even to higher targets. And I definitely had in mind a space career. My classmates all remember me talking about that. And I had pictures of spacesuits and uh, spacecraft in my, in my room already back then. And this is 25 years ago. Wow. So that's a pretty amazing story of, you know, having a determination and a direction and getting there through through your career. But is that a prerequisite to apply? There are a lot of people with military backgrounds. Do you have to be a pilot to be an astronaut? You do not. You do not have to be a pilot. Back in 2008, when the call for astronauts came out from ESA, there were basically what I would say two main paths, pilots and non-pilots. And then within the pilots, there was also 
uh, a distinction whether you were a test pilot or or not. So the the distinction is that if if you went through the through the pilot side of the of the selection course, you were required to have a certain experience and on high performance airplanes. And then it, it was a bonus, I would say, if you were if you had a test pilot experience with uh, with you. And then the other side of the path was for non-pilots, and it was for anybody with a background in engineering or science, including medicine. So you could be a medical doctor, you could be a scientist for, for different kinds of fields, I would say, and then engineering. As a matter of fact, when you when you look at my class and uh, there, is, there, are, there were only two professional military test pilots, and that was Tim, uh, Tim Peake, uh, obviously myself, and then uh, Thomas Pesquet, uh, who is an engineer, he's an aerospace engineer with also a career in civilian flying. And then there is Samantha, who was the other military person. She's now retired from the Italian Air Force, but she was in the Italian Air Force at the time she was selected. She is an engineer and uh, was starting her, her career as a pilot. Having that pilot experience is certainly something that, that is looked favorably by the selection committee because, because it's a very obvious operational environment that gives you, that guarantees that, that you have those operational capabilities, that operational approach. But it's not mandatory because then you have Alex, Andy, Matthias, they didn't have a, a military background and they did not have a flying background. And nonetheless, they performed quite remarkably uh, throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's it's helpful, but not absolutely essential. But um, so people listening to this who might be thinking about applying this time around, they'll be able to read the requirements in depth in the vacancy notice in the handbook that comes out. But aside from whatever the hard requirements might be, in your experience, what other attributes or skills do you think have been the most important in your experience? There are many. There are many, and those are the soft skills that you cannot really put in a in a vacancy note or when you when you when you write the requirements for for any position really. So, uh, w- what I can talk about is what I have noticed in, in not only my classmates but in my colleagues coming from different space agencies. I would say that in general, one one thing that is common to all astronauts is that they are happy people. They are uh, people that come from a job where they were very happy, very satisfied. They enjoyed what they were doing, and so they were successful. All of them. The idea of becoming an astronaut was on top of of an already successful lifestyle, and that is important because uh, none of us really. Uh, really followed a specific career thinking, oh, this is going to take me closer to space. All the people that I talked to, that I interacted with in my uh, experience as an astronaut were uh, people that followed what they really liked to do. They followed their, I wouldn't say the dream, but they followed what, what really gave them satisfaction in terms of projects, in terms of what uh, what opportunities their job gave them. Thomas, who was an aerospace engineer, ended up being a, an airline pilot because 
that that that's what he really liked doing. And um, Alex, as a, a, a geophysicist, you know, hunting volcanoes right before they erupt, definitely you wouldn't think that you wouldn't associate that with a desire to be in space. Or uh, Andy Morgensen, um, who spent the, the beginning of his career, the start of his career on oil rigs, learning learning the trade of being a mechanical engineer before going into uh, navigation system for spacecraft. So as you see, it's all they, they were all different different paths that somehow gave all of us a lot of joy in what we did. I loved flying airplanes and helicopters, and especially putting those machines uh, to the edge of their flight envelope as a test pilot team. And everybody that I talked to, they were they were all very successful and happy with what they did. And then. Being being a, an astronaut came as a challenge and something that we all went into thinking this may happen or it may not happen. And either way, I will have experienced something that challenges me and the result is going to be positive no matter what. Also, I would say that curiosity is something that uh, that is really common among us. We are, all the astronauts, especially expeditionary astronauts are curious they want to they want to learn new things that they had not thought about before so you are you're an astronaut and you come from a flying background and now you learn how to perform experiments in all kinds of different fields you learn how to interact with uh, with medicine and technology that is that comes from from, from completely different fields so curiosity certainly is another is another common element, and, and I can, I mean I can keep going, but in general, uh, if you think about it, we are going into a phase of space exploration where, if you are on the space station, you tend to spend four to six months or more together with a small group of people in uh, what we now understand is a, a subtle form of isolation, and in the future uh, we may be going into very small spacecraft, maybe not for such extended amount of time, but still uh, consistent uh, from a few weeks to a few months. If you think about it, what kind of person would you want next to you? You want a person that, that is capable of leading, but, but also of following, depending on the situation. A person that is pleasant, a person that is uh, solved, completely solved, that doesn't have issues that, that can come up at the the most unexpected time when it's critical to keep a cool-headed and and be propositive rather than than having a negative attitude. So those are all what I was talking about, soft skills that you cannot really put down. Those are the kinds of things that will be demonstrated through the selection phase, especially in the interviews and so on. Mm -hmm. That sort of sounds like adaptive. Let me know if I talk too much because I don't do that. No, it's really really interesting. That sort of sounds um, like adaptability really is a key. From what I've heard comes through the whole way through when you're an astronaut because, you know, things get delayed, things get changed. You might, and we heard from Frank that he, when he started, Frank Devina, sorry, when he started that he thought he was going to fly and then he was working on an engineering project and then he was flying. So you have to be ready for anything, don't you, I guess? Well, I am, I am living that situation right now because, uh, like you said, you know, I, I'm a, a fighter pilot and then a test pilot and then I, I flew right away and then 
I was for for a few years here in, in Houston, where I'm currently. I was an instructor and a Capcom. All day, all my work was always very operational. Then I flew again and I came back. And currently, my job is more about managing people than than anything else. It's something that I'm learning to do. And I, as I'm learning it, I'm also I'm also learning to appreciate it as something completely different. So. It's something I've never done before, and I'm I'm trying to adjust and adapt myself and my expectation uh, to it because I understand that those who want to apply for this job should understand. When you're an astronaut, you can't expect to spend a lot of time in space. It just doesn't happen. You can expect your career to be maybe 5 to 10% operationally in orbit, and then all all the rest is going to be on the ground. So that is something that requires a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Taking it back again to the selection process that you went through, was there anything that surprised you about that process or anything that you wish you'd been better prepared for? Uh, quite the opposite. I was, I was surprised by everything. And so that's, in my, in my uh, strange way of seeing things, that's what made it interesting. Um, I don't think you can really prepare for it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to be prepared for it because, like I said, a lot of it is uh, not only showing your capabilities to improvise, adapt, adjust your flexibility, but also it's sort of self-discovery. Do you have what it takes to, to overcome unexpected situations? Do you have what it takes to, to be completely surprised and being comfortable with being uncomfortable? Th- those are all things that will come up eventually in your, in your career, in your space career. They will, they will come up. You will, have to be, you will have to feel ready for something that you, are not, that you were not ready for. <laughs> Just the, the selection process gives you a little bit of that. It, it should surprise you. It should be fun and challenging at the same time. And you should, for anybody applying, should come prepared to do things that they're not ready for. And now that you are an astronaut, a big part of an astronaut's role or one part of an astronaut's role is is putting yourself out of your comfort zone. You, you swiftly become a public figure um, and a, an ambassador for space. What was it like for you adjusting to being you know, a household name? And how do you find that side of your role? That's an interesting question. I ask for help all the time. And what I mean by that is I tell my, my friends, those that know me well, those that uh, have known me for all my life, to alert me, should my attitude change in any way? What I mean by that is that notoriety, I wouldn't talk about fame, but notoriety is very feeble. It doesn't last. I don't want it to change me or to affect me in any way. So I try to constantly remind myself that what, what I do is extraordinary when I'm in orbit, but it doesn't make me extraordinary. And so I take the opportunity of having a platform to try to communicate my experience, try to communicate what I do and why I think it's important. I, I take it as an educational platform, but I certainly... I don't let it get to my head uh, where, I, where I think in any way or form, it makes me special. When I do that way, then it just becomes, in a way, part of my job as an educator, as a person who brings 
to, to the general public something that to me is so important and has the opportunity. But other than that, I, I haven't really changed my lifestyle or my expectations about being recognized or fame or in, in any way. It, it is definitely not something that, that has come to me in that sense. It's more an opportunity to communicate and to enlarge and renovate my experience by sharing it. it, it by sharing what I, what I do, it multiplies the experience. Yeah, and, and people certainly appreciate it. I know during a lot of your public events or, or talks or other activities, you face questions um, from different people about being an astronaut or life in space. Um, what question, aside from how do you go to, to the toilet in space, um, is the most common question that you face about being an astronaut? People really want to know the things that are familiar to them and how they change when you orbit. That's why the toilet question is so fundamental because guess what? Every morning you wake up and you, there's something that you have to do. If you're a lion, you have to start running. If you're a gazelle, you have to start running. If you're a human, you have to go to the toilet. And so they want <laughs> to know how that would happen. And mm -hmm. um, it, it certainly, I really understand their, their concerns. The same goes for food. Everybody has to eat and they want to know how do you eat? Is it true that you eat peels uh, food out of a, of, of a tube that looks like toothpaste. And so it, it's kind of fun to, to answer those questions and to debunk some of the myths. Now, one question that I used to get a lot is, is about the, the Great China Wall, whether it's true that it's the only structure of, uh, that you can see with the naked eye from space. Spoiler, it's A, you cannot see it, and B, so no, and B, it's, <laughs> it's not, there are many things that you can see with your naked eye. And uh, other questions that come, that come a lot is how do you sleep? Again, all, all things that are physiology related, how do you take a shower if, if you can? Uh, how do you practice sport? And then, you know, what kind of day do you have? A lot of times there are questions that, they are really hard to answer because they are related to feelings. What does it feel like to float in space? What does it feel like to look at the Earth? What does it feel like to be on an extravehicular activity, to be on a spacewalk? And those questions are the hardest because, because we don't feel in any specific way. We just, our brain are wired in, uh, in such a way that there are always a lot of different feelings coming up. So it's hard to analyze each strain of thought in, in, in a specific way. So I always try to, uh, when I answer those questions, I try to bring the public with me in one of those activities, what it's like to launch, what it's like to land, and so on. So we're coming to the end of our chat, but after two space missions, and is it almost 12 years as an ESA astronaut, what final words of advice would you have for anyone considering applying to become an ESA astronaut this time around? You know, Ali, I, I was expecting this question and I am loath to give advice because everybody's different. And you ask six astronauts or seven astronauts for an opinion and hopefully you get eight answers. I don't really, I don't want to really give a specific uh, piece of advice to anybody because it may, it may be something that works for one person out of 9,000, or, or maybe it's something that works for everybody, and I have no way of knowing that. What I can, what I can do uh, to answer your question is 
to give you a perspective from my experience. And that is something connected to what you asked me a few minutes ago. How do you prepare? How do you prepare for a selection process that's going to take you through one year of different tests and interviews and, and, and such things? And my answer to that, my, my personal experience on that was that you don't. You don't prepare for it. If you're ready, that's what you want to find out. You want to find out whether uh, your path that you've chosen, all the different thousands of choices that you made so far in your life are taking you to the place where you need to be. It's, uh, it's, it's an experience itself. The selection process is an, ex- serious, an experience in and of itself. The way I lived through it was to just go with an open mind, open heart, and no expectations, and to see how it would go and what would come out at the other, uh, on the other side of it every time and learn in the meantime. So I didn't specifically train myself at the time for any of the different, of the different parts of the selection. I, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, when I got to Hamburg, which was the first part of the selection back in 2008, I did the best that I could. Step after step, I just presented myself with my skills and my background and my bag of tricks and the tools that I gained throughout my experience as a student, as a father, as a father pilot, as a test pilot, and tried to use them to the best of my capabilities. And I think that that, that works. It's, uh, you shouldn't prepare because if you're ready, that's what you're going to find out. Fantastic. Thanks, Luca. And yes, you were ready. (laughs) And we're glad that you were and that we could talk to you today. So thank you very much for taking us through your experience. And hopefully that can inspire some others out there who are thinking about applying or just thinking about space in general. So thank you very much. I sure hope so. Thank you for your time and your attention. To find out more about ESA's 2021 astronaut selection, visit the website esa.int slash your way to space. That's your way to space. Thanks for listening to ESA Explores. If you have any feedback or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, don't hesitate to get in touch via Twitter at ESA Spaceflight using the hashtag ESA Explores.